the uh, Ignite Life news yesterday. It came pretty late. Okay, so you could see that I've been watching a bit of stuff on 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 Prime, and it really has bothered me. Right? I, I won't go over that whole thing again, but I, I was I had a very troubled week last week. A very this peaceful or unpeaceful week last week um, and uh, man the reason why I decided to watch this particular series it's Grant Chester by the way Jeanette picked it, um, sorry Ainsley picked it about 10 seconds left Gina knows yeah. <laughs> the reason I watched it it's weird I know but has anyone ever watched Father Brown? Right, Father Brown he's a Catholic priest right and so Grant Chester, well, he was a Church of England priest and sort of crime and all that sort of stuff. And I thought, oh, it'd be nice to get a kind of Protestant version of Father Brown. But it's nothing like it. It is really, really subversive. But the hero of this series is a Church of England priest, a young guy, sort of single. And you know... The issues that have really caused great ruptures in our society, probably since about the middle of last century, are all reasonably subtly dealt with in this uh, series. And I came to realise that the writers have been very, very crafty because they've manipulated the emotions, the feeling that is the souls of the audience to build sympathy for euthanasia, homosexuality, and fornication, which is any kind of sexual relationship outside covenantal marriage. All three of those big issues. And you see, the way the scripts are written, you, you like these characters. The priest himself, had war service in the Second World War. That the setting is just after the Second World War. The the priest served in the army. He was in the Royal Scots. And some people might have missed this, but he actually shot one of his own soldiers. He he had wrongly called all clear. So the soldiers got out of their armoured personnel character. Uh, the army. The, the, army personnel carriers. However, there was one gentleman still alive who started to shoot them and he shot a young man and, and wounded him quite badly. So this guy who, the Anglican priest, you've got to watch fairly carefully, he, he actually takes out his gun while this young soldier doesn't realise it and actually sticks it in his stomach and shoots him. That's euthanasia. But you see, the way the script is written, you build up an empathy with this guy. Because this young soldier, he was probably mortally wounded. It was going to be pretty unlikely that he would have lived. He was obviously in a lot of pain, not just physical pain, but a lot of emotional pain as well. So his leader put him out of his mission. Then a little later on, we see that the, the curate, that is the assistant uh, minister who comes to work in the parish, is homosexual. And he forms some 
liaisons, some relationships, and the way in which the script is written, we feel really sorry for this guy because of the way society treats him. And so does his priest. And his priest ends up telling him, just be you. Just be who you are. And then the priest has this girlfriend and she's really beautiful. But he doesn't have the courage to ask her to marry him and so she marries someone else and it's a really unhappy marriage. And so she keeps coming back to see him. And he's very sympathetic and she says, you may kiss me on my cheek and he kisses And eventually they have sex. And the way the script is written, you think, oh, those poor people. I feel so sorry for her in an unhappy marriage. I feel so sorry for him because he just didn't have the courage to ask her to marry her and she would have said yes. They've stuffed up their lives. They deserve some happiness. <laughs> <laughs> so they fought okay. <laughs> and what does the Bible say? You're going to hell if you do those things. I, that wasn't. You should have been loud. He, he sort of said spoiler on it. But he said it so quietly, it should have been much louder. You got to help with Sorry. So I was fully prepared to come and talk about marriage today because it's been on my heart to do that for a long time. And, and I actually want to share with you some quite deep theology that you probably haven't heard during the whole debate about things like same-sex marriage. You see, we're subtly bombarded with these messages all the time by scriptwriters who are really working for Satan. They don't know it most of the time. They don't know. But their inspiration actually comes from the pit of hell. And they're persuading us bit by bit, series by series to come to believe something which is contrary to the word of God. Now the funny thing is, I got up at 5.30 this morning after listening to one of my favourite gardening podcasts. And I was all set just to finish off what I had to say about marriage. And I had this dreadfully unsettled feeling and God said to us you need to talk about suicide and, and you'll actually see that there was a parenthetic statement in the newsletter about suicide and, and as I spent an hour and a half preparing what I'm going to have to share with you about suicide all of a sudden that terrible feeling I had all week lifted now, I am going to talk about marriage, probably next week. So, if you're frightened about what I'm going to say, maybe you should stay there, Because <laughs> I'm not going to mince my words, I can promise you. But also, also, I promise you, I'm pretty certain you'll hear what you haven't heard from anyone else before. Because not about a list of do's and don'ts, and that's what you normally hear from the pulpit. You won't hear that. Because that doesn't work, you see. Do's and don'ts don't work. The Bible is pretty clear. You cannot live by law. So I'm not going to lay down the law. Anyway, that's coming up, so stay tuned. I don't want to talk about suicide. And it is, it is in a sense, related to issues that are rattling around with this election. As you know, the, the Labor Party have made a commitment 
to introduce what they call voluntary assisted dying, that's murder, but voluntary assisted dying legislation. Now they had originally, way back on the 21st of May this year, they had said they would consider a report of the Queensland Law Commission after it hands in its report in March. They are now saying they will introduce the legislation before the due date of that report. And they're not the only political party that uh, supports euthanasia, which is murder. Now, because euthanasia and suicide are so closely related, and in fact, voluntary assisted dying is assisted suicide, I want to address the issue. And I want to address the issue because, well, I believe God wants me to address this issue, this issue because most of us have known people, even Christians, who have committed suicide. I have. Uh, my own story that I alluded to very briefly in the newsletter was a young man, Tim, you remember Tim Anderson. I was mentoring him. He, he got into quite a lot of difficulty. I don't need to go into the details, but there are personal issues. There were issues concerning the morality of some of the things he was doing. I was mentoring him, and, and we used to catch up on a regular basis. We'd have a cup of coffee, and we'd just talk. I was dean of business at the University of Queensland back then. It was a big job. I was going to work at 2 o'clock in the morning, three or four mornings a week. Uh, she go to work on Sunday nights after church and just work all night because it was a big job. I loved it, mind you, and I was very, very well paid. Um, and I have no, I, I, I have no negative um, feelings about the hard work or anything like that. It was, it was my dream job actually. If I could have had any job in the world, it was dean of business at the University of Southern Queensland. I loved it for the two and a bit years that I had that role. But Tim was in quite a lot of difficulty. He was a Christian, came from a good Christian family. And uh, I remember this, this afternoon, he was very, very troubled. And our time together was pretty much at an end. And he followed me up to my office. And I said, look, Tim, I, I just can't spend any more time with you. I, I've got so much to do. We'll catch up again next week. That night, he hangs. Now, just in case you're wondering, I don't feel guilty about that because I believe in free will. Tim made his choice. So I don't blame myself. I do sometimes wonder, had I said, I'll just drop everything, come into my office, would that have made a difference? I have no idea. I don't know. But you see, I'm not responsible for the decision he made, so I, I don't beat myself up over that. But... The family was very, very anxious that the coroner find that it was an accidental death. And, and coroners themselves are extremely reluctant to declare any death is a suicide. And, and basically they will only do it if there's a suicide note. And Tim didn't leave a suicide note. So his death was actually recorded as accidental and doesn't actually get into the statistics on suicide because I don't know what his state of mind was at the time. I don't know whether he just maybe tried it and was thinking, well, you know, if I really went ahead with this, people would feel sorry for me and somehow just kicked the chair away and that was that. I don't know. So I don't know for sure and that's why the coroner, coroners are always very reluctant 
to make any assumptions. And so if there isn't an actual note, they don't record it as a, as a suicide. <coughs> and of course, just this year, there are three very high profile pastors, some of them very young, in their 30s, who have committed suicide in the United States. Some of you will know Greg Laurie. He features on Vision Radio. One of his pastors, just 30 years old, who was actually a really strong advocate for mental illness, he committed suicide a little earlier this year. I'm on the board of a Christian school. We've had Christian kids in that school commit suicide. And see, the question that always comes up is, does someone who commits suicide, who is a Christian, go to heaven? And a lot of the time, the answer that they get is, I don't know. I want to be a little bit bold and suggest I do know. And I want to give you some assurance that a Christian who commits suicide has not committed the unpardonable sin and they will not forfeit heaven. Right? I'm not going to leave you hanging. And I will show you from the Word of God why I believe that that is the case. David, I think, caused these loopholes. <laughs> we had a discussion a little earlier. But what I want to do, first, I just want to, I guess, give you a warning. If this is an issue for you, you've got to talk to someone. You could talk to me or to um, Jeanette, because we've been around a while and we've been through these kinds of things more than once in our, in our lives. I want to show you some, some data now, it's really hard to see. Part of the reason is I had to just copy uh, graphs that have been produced by the Australian Institute for Health and Welfare, which is a federal government agency. And uh, they've got quite a lot of material because it's a major concern. Now, suicide as a cause of death overall in our population today is not major at all. It accounts for 1.9% of deaths. So overall, it's not by any means a major cause of death in Australia. However, the consequences of a suicide are massive. On the family, on the narrow community within which the person lived, and on the broader community as well. So although it's a relatively rare cause of death, the consequences for our communities are huge. In 2018, which is the latest data that we have, this has come from a publication that's only just been published. Just over 3,000 suicides, only about 720 were women, the rest men. So men feature overwhelmingly in, in suicide. Possibly because suicide is a violent way in which uh, to die. Now, that chart there shows you what they call the age-corrected uh, number of suicides per 100,000 in the population. Now, you don't really need to go into the details here, but as, as and this data goes from 1907 when it was first collected right through until 2018, 
Now, the reason why you might want to make some kind of statistical correction for age is that the age structure of our population, it changes through time. So over the last 50 years, the age structure has sort of been gradually getting older and older. So you need to make some adjustments if you're going to make proper comparisons. Now, the, the line at the top, that's the male suicide rate per 100,000 males in the population. The one at the bottom is the female rate and the one in the middle, that's the overall rate. And you can see that broadly speaking, they all move in pretty much the same direction. Now I remember reading a book about suicide when I was a teenager, I was 13 or 14. I don't know why, but I got interested in suicide. I, was, I wasn't going to do it, I got interested in it. Because there were kids my age committing suicide in my, in my school, in my community. And um, one of the things I read in that book that I've never forgotten is this, that there's always an increase in suicide, in suicides, after some massive social or economic upheaval. And you can see in that chart that associated with things like the World Wars, the Great Depression in the 1930s, there were increases in the suicide rate. We've been talking to pastors Keith and Pecker at Ignite Life Church in Victoria, and they're very, very concerned about what's happening to young people as a result of the long, long COVID shutdowns there. They say there's a crisis of suicide among young people. Now, the Victorian government has just released data saying there's been no change in suicides. And if you look at that data, there's about four or five more suicides this year than at the same time last year. The thing is this, the suicide response is always lagged. And actually, because suicide is so closely related to mental illness like depression, and because it takes a while for depression to set in following these massive social or economic upheavals, we can't expect the official data to reflect the impact for a little while yet. But I would be pretty confident in saying that if we came back and looked at the data two years from now, there'll be an uptick in the suicide rates. And that's a pretty serious thing for us to contemplate. One thing that's kind of positive that actually interests me is that there was quite a long um, uh, drop, a, a long, over a long period of time, a drop in suicide rates among women after 1976. What happened in 1976? Can anyone remember massive change? What kind of rise? You, you kind of right. I know it's rights, but I don't know what rights. Does anyone remember Justice, Justice Murphy, the infamous Justice Murphy, Lionel Murphy? What's wrong with you people? Don't you do what you used to? No. I know, you're just not old like me. <laughs> right. Lionel Murphy was a Labor Attorney General. And he is vilified, generally speaking, in conservative and Christian circles because he was the person who introduced no-fault divorce. Right. Prior to 1976, you had to prove infidelity or abuse or whatever in order to get a divorce. There were a lot, a lot of women in very unhappy marriages. 
If you have a look at what's happened at divorce rates, after 1976, whoop, up they went. Big, big spike. And ever since then, it's been actually very slowly trending downwards over the last 10 or 15 years. In fact, divorce rates have been trending downwards. Now, they're still not as low as they were by 1976. Now, and as I'll talk a little bit about this more when we're talking about marriage, but see, when there are massive changes like this, there are changes in the suicide rate. You need to understand that. And, and gosh, I wish some of the politicians would wake up with this. Oh, I really wish they'd wake up to some of these things that anybody with eyes and half a brain can see. But anyway, that's what I'm here to talk about. Just in case you're wondering. I want to show you a little bit of other, other data. You know, we're told all the time that, that suicide is this massive problem among young people, particularly young males. Now, the reason why that statement is made is that it is the most significant cause of death, particularly young, uh, among young males. But actually, that's not where the real problem is. It's actually with people who are getting up into their kind of senior career positions. It's this group here, that second one from the top. And those are people in the age of 40 to 59. And when I actually looked at some other data, it's unbelievable what the suicide rate is among people 80 years and over, especially men. Yeah, you know, there are obviously reasons for that. You know, people, and, and, and of course, the males are on the left-hand side, the females are on the right-hand side. What is it about that age group for men? Well, that's when they're likely to be in the most debt. If they're running a business, they're likely to be a, you know, senior up in their business or they've been around a long time. That's when things are going wrong in their business and they feel a great responsibility because they've got bills to pay, they've got employees, etc., etc., etc. And often they're not in happy marriages. And of course, when you move back through the ages, the reason why so many men aged 80 and over commit suicide, that's when sickness and loneliness kick in. Hey, how are you feeling? I've got one more to go. <laughs> this one here is the means of suicide. The, the green one that, that peaks around the 1970s, that's poisons other than gas. A lot of drug overdoses and things like that at that time. I think that's fallen away mainly because it made it a lot more difficult to buy poisonous substances over the counter. Much, much more difficult now to do that. And so sadly, that mustard coloured line, the one that's the highest line now, that's suicide by hand. That is by far and away the most common method, if you like, of suicide. Now I wanted to show you that data because I think it's really important that we, we have some context. It's not a major cause of death, but when somebody commits suicide, a whole community grieves. 
And in Christian circles, everybody wants to know. Well, they want to know why. You never get an answer to that this side of heaven. But they also want to know, will that person go to heaven? Now, this is all based on the fact that they're a Christian, all right? We obviously know that nobody who hasn't given their life to Jesus Christ and hasn't accepted the free gift by grace of salvation, doesn't matter what they do, they don't go to heaven. We're talking here about Christians. So there are two things I want to say. The first is this, is, or, or answer the question, is suicide a sin? Well, yes, it is. Suicide is a sin. And no matter how much empathy we might have with, with people who have mental illness or, or who are sexual abuse, that's another major reason why young people commit suicide. It's been documented, by the way. I'm not just, this is all documented. No matter how much sympathy we feel, it doesn't change the truth that it's a sin. How can I be certain that it's a sin? Because suicide is a category of murder. It's self-murder. And the Bible is very clear that we are not to murder. Second, all murder is sin against a person. And I'll put a Bible reference in there. I'm not going to read the references, but they're there for you to, to follow up. All murder is a sin against God. Why is that? Because we are God's image bearers. God made us in His image. So all murder, including self-murder, is an attack against the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 to 27. Euthanasia, or as the politicians like to call it, voluntary assisted dying, it's also in the category of murder. I'm talking about a biblical perspective. I'm not talking about what the politicians or the Law Reform Commission might say. I'm not talking about what some movie producer or scriptwriter might say. I'm talking about the Word of God. When life is deliberately taken, by the individual who dies or by someone who assists or by somebody who does it against the other person's will is all murder. It's a sin. Now I want to tell you this as well. Cheating the taxpayer is a sin too. Right? Remember Jesus took the coin and said whose image is on the coin? You pay the Caesar what you owe Caesar. Right? It's not a worse sin. Uh, we, our human minds find it very difficult to get around this. All sin is sin. And the wages of sin is death unless you have received the free gift 
of salvation. So I'm not trying to make out that this is a worse sin than any other. All sin is punishable by death, except for those who escape the wrath of God because they accept the broken body of the shepherd of Jesus as their covering. So yes, suicide is a sin. But is it an unpardonable sin? That is, is it a sin that God cannot or does not forgive? The answer is no. I'm prepared to stand up and say that publicly. There is no sin that is not forgiven at the cross. There is no sin that is not forgiven at the cross. Well, there is one. It's what we sometimes call the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The Catholics would tend to call it the unpardonable sin. Uh, some people would call it apostasy. That's when somebody in full possession of the truth repudiates that truth. And I don't have time to go into that in great detail, but the, uh, there's really only that sin, that's the only sin that according to the word of God cannot be forgiven. And I think it's pretty difficult to commit that sin. In fact, if you're worried that you might have committed it, you almost certainly haven't. Because someone who commits the unpardonable sin is not repentant of that sin. You see, Jesus Christ's sacrificial death atones for all the sin of his people. Past, present, and future. Past, present, and future. See, if it doesn't cover future, and this is what a lot of Christians find extremely hard to accept. See, if it doesn't cover future sin, let's say, as I'm speaking to you, I have a sinful thought, a lustful thought, uh, a greedy thought, you know, a murderous thought, Sin, right? I have a heart attack. Die instantly. Haven't had a chance to repent. Does it mean I don't go to heaven? Don't think so. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says he died once for all. Once for all. We have to get it into our heads. That our sin, past, present and future is forgiven. Now, as an aside, that does not give us license to sin, right? The fact that that is true doesn't give us permission to sin. And that would be a topic for a whole other discussion. The death of Jesus atones for all the sin, past, present, and future. God will not remove his forgiving love from someone who commits suicide. He will not remove his 
Because I know he doesn't. Because he doesn't remove his loving kindness from someone who cheats the tax man. Or who loses his temper. Or who has a murderous thought about his brother. He doesn't remove his forgiving love. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ enjoy God's enduring and complete forgiveness for all their sins for all time by the grace of God. You happen to know a Christian who has taken advantage of laws in a state like Victoria to have their own lives ended. Know this. Whatever their state of mind, they're forgiven. There's no excuse for us to fall into the trap that we're invited to when we watch a TV series. It's not an excuse for falling into that trap we have to build our worldview on the Word of God. Because that young man, just in his early 20s, who I was mentoring, who hanged himself, whether or not that was accidental or deliberate, who knows? Will he be in heaven? I believe yes, he will. the blood of Christ covered his sin past, present and on that day his future sin Jeanette and I have often had discussions about what happens in those last moments of our lives and uh, I read a a letter it was a little letter from a, a Catholic priest that he'd written to his people on the issue of, of suicide. And I don't hold with the Catholic view. They pray for people who have committed suicide because they believe that if they're, if they're Christian, if they're part of the Catholic faith, that they'll go to purgatory. In purgatory, they'll be disciplined and they'll have the opportunity to be fully redeemed in purgatory. We, we don't teach that and perhaps that's another thing I should touch on one day. Um, we don't necessarily have a good understanding of what Catholics understand about the end of life as compared with what Protestants understand. But anyway, this um, priest father signalness, pastor of Queen of the Most Holy Rosary in Stanley and St. Anne in Berthold, which is in in America, it might be in Arkansas, it's in the United States anyway. But he tells this story. St. John Vianney, the famous parish priest of Ars in France, once encountered a woman who was very troubled. Her irreligious husband had died after jumping from a bridge. She worried he was in hell. When he encountered her near his church, Father Vianney had no way of knowing about this unfortunate situation except by a special grace from God. That's what we would call a spirit of discernment. He whispered into her ear the words, He is saved. The woman was taken aback. 
So Father began, he repeated himself saying, I tell you, he is saved. He is in purgatory and you must pray for him. Between the parapet of the bridge and the water, he had time to make an act of contrition. The woman was greatly comforted by this revelation. We can find comfort in it as well. Many of us ask, of course, what happens in those last, those last moments. Is there a, a special grace from God? I actually don't believe there's any biblical evidence to suggest that because God's special grace is available to us every single moment of our lives. But I'm also certain that for many, in that last few seconds of life, that's when they come to surrender. Because we tend to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of a crisis. And taking our last breath is surely a crisis. So there's much we don't know. We can't know if someone who has never accepted the free gift of salvation, we can't know what they might do in those last few moments. And so to some extent, I believe in this story that the Catholic priest shared with his parishioners. But I am convinced, based on the biblical, uh, biblical evidence, and there's, there's a lot more than what I've shared with you today, but obviously we don't have time to go into more detail, but I am convinced, not based on my feelings, not based on what I've thought about, not based on what I've watched on TV, but based on the word of God, that someone who is a Christian is forgiven. We're even pre-forgiven of the sin that we might commit tomorrow. And there is no hierarchy of sin. The reason why we grieve so much over suicide is not because it's a worse sin than lustfully looking at another person to whom we're not married or not paying our taxes correctly according to the tax standards. It's not a worse sin than being angry at our brother. There's no hierarchy of sin in the kingdom of God. All sin is sin. And if we were to believe that a Christian who commits suicide forfeits heaven, then we have to believe the same thing about any Christian who commits a sin and does not have the time or the will to repent before they die. I don't believe that the Bible supports that view. The view that the Bible supports, which is not popularly accepted, is that the blood of Christ which ushered in the covenant of grace has covered all our sin. And the merciful love of God covers it all. Yesterday, today and tomorrow. But it is never ever an excuse or a license to sin. And Paul makes that very clear. Romans 6.
Now, I don't know for sure why it was that, as I've shared with you, I believe that God wanted me to speak on this topic today. But what I do know is a great weight was lifted from my shoulders as I hurriedly prepared what I've shared. Please, if, if this is an issue for you, or if it has been an issue for you, feel free to come and chat. Anytime. Anytime. Because that in heart is what pastor is all about. <coughs>